Don. Thank you, B Don, and to number one five two three three five eight seven eight eight eight. Okay, so you're a jailbird <laughs> Introduce now. Introduce yourself. When you, Introduce, come- you know what, Andy, that happened to me this morning. I came in and I said morning to everybody, and uh, at your kitchen table was like welcome inmate. I was like, oh, well, sorry guys, didn't sign in. It's Lou. So um, I feel I feel the inmates' pain. Right. Well, so how did that make you feel? Right. So. I actually I changed it to the numbers because I felt like it was rude to the guests for being called women all the time. They all had women's names. You know what? I actually really liked the names. I thought they were so funny and random. <laughs> they are funny. They're a little bit sexist, but it's all good, you know. I mean, one one person said that they liked to have they loved being guest Madonna. I don't know who it was because I was actually downstairs getting coffee at the time, but. Um, and it said guest Madonna and not their real name. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to know, right? They, Yeah, right. So whoever guest Madonna is, let's talk about clo- let's talk about closers first. Greg Holland came in yesterday for the Cardinals and he walked four, walked in the winning run, dude. And I mean, obviously they're, they expect him to be their closer because they paid him $16 million. I mean, I would assume, but how long do you think his leash is over there? I mean, with what we've seen from Hicks, um, I don't think it's going to be a super long leash. But at the same time, um, I have to imagine that he probably needs some more conditioning. Holland, I mean, I think they probably rushed him to the major leagues. I'm not sure why. He could have had another week or so in the minors, get some more innings and some appearances under his belt. So I do think it'll be a bit of a work in progress. I don't know, dude. I'm not really thinking he's all that reliable of a pitcher to begin with. I mean, I do know that he got 40 saves last year. He's actually had 40 saves in two of his last, I don't know, a couple times in the recent future, I will say, or in the recent past, he's had 40 save seasons. So I want to believe that he's good, but when he when he just acts like he did yesterday, it can hurt because in my points league, I have him, I put him in, and he was negative points. When you get a loss, you get points. You got a loss, you blew a save. I mean, it's just, are you kidding me? I'm a little annoyed. But um, also in closer land on the closer carousel that goes round and round, um, A.J. Hinch came out and said that Ken Giles is, might not be the full-time closer. So, I mean, we don't really know if he's just saying that. That's This is a good case of when, like, managers just say stuff. But Brad Peacock did uh, get his second save, and I just love Brad Peacock regardless, okay? So, I mean, it doesn't really matter. He's going to get strikeouts, and he's going to get saves and wins probably too. These effectors are golden in any kind of league where you have to go, you know, you have to roster a pitcher with a mediocre ERA just to get enough strikeouts and wins. I mean, this guy will help you even out that shit. Yeah, he definitely will. I mean, you know, I'm. that's one of my big strategies when I'm drafting, when I'm making um, rosters. And it's interesting with Peacock because, I mean, I don't know. I think you said he got a second save of the year yesterday. Was it a one-inning save or was it a multiple-inning save? Uh, did he get a second save? I, I think he did get a second save. Um, I, I don't know why I would just say that, but I don't actually have that in front of me. It kind of just came out. Let me check it out. Well, I know he has at least one save this year. It was a multiple inning save, and that wouldn't surprise me necessarily because, I mean, I like Ken Giles. I think he's got good stuff, but I like. I do think with, with all of the with all the pitchers they have there in Devensky, McHugh, Will Harris, and obviously Giles and Peacock, um, they can do a lot of different things with their bullpen, whether it be playing their matchups. I mean, maybe you bring in Ken Giles in the seventh or eighth inning versus the middle of the order and then go to Peacock or someone else afterwards. Um, I, like, I mean, it's okay. all about matchups nowadays anyways. And multiple inning saves from a guy like Peacock wouldn't be out of the realm because he is a multiple innings guy. Peacock did not get his second save. He got he now he has a win and a save. And it just kind of shows me first of all, I don't it doesn't really matter to me if he gets it on more than one inning, but it does kind of, I mean obviously it matters when you're talking about you know um co- contributing in strikeouts and wins and stuff. The fact that he goes more than one inning gives him an opportunity to get both saves and wins. And um I just I really like Peacock for that reason. I, I do think that Giles is probably going to have a little bit more 
of a leash than Holland, maybe. Maybe not. He there's just a lot of people in the Houston bullpen that can close out games. I mean, you got a couple of effectors. I, I just really love uh Houston's bullpen. I love it. Them and the Yankees, even though the Yankees are just sucking it up, dude. What's up with your Yankees? Yeah, I mean they got off to a slow start. The bullpen was actually pretty fantastic for them in the most recent series. It was the starting pitching and uh, I guess the lack of the lack of uh, thump in the lineup with some of the injuries they've had. I mean, Sanchez has been out. Didi got a day off. Drury's out. Obviously, they're still without Hicks and Bird. So um, they're, they're going through some they're going through some tough times now. I'm not too concerned about them at this point. But well, I'm I mean, concerned Boston, about Boston their fans. Beat up on the fans Boston suck. Beat up on Yankee fans oh, suck. They're the worst. Classic you guys, assholes. And you're one fans. of them, but you don't suck. But you're still one of them. So I'm yelling at you. Yeah, I am a Yankees fan. I'm just not one of the asshole Yankee fans that boos their players in the first week of the year. How embarrassing. But also for Phillies fans, too. You know, them booing their new manager is just un- it's just totally unacceptable in my world. Yeah, I mean, you have to expect that when you're a rookie manager, especially one with no experience anywhere else managing at any level, there's going to be some hiccups early on. Obviously, you mentioned the Phillies with Kapler. I can bring up Aaron Boone for the Yankees. Both these guys are going to do just fine. They're both great baseball minds. Um, yeah. Perfect personalities for their teams. But and, what about Stanton getting booed? I mean, okay. that That's – firstly, that's it's nuts. It's kind of disgusting to me. I mean, he's off to a tough start. Sure, striking out a lot. That's going to happen. And I actually saw something very interesting on MLB Network over the weekend. Harold Reynolds breaking down, standing at the plate – his stance prior to last year and how he's adjusted it. And he brought up the fact that Stanton's so used to hitting in Miami where he's used to the batter's eye, the spot he looks for, the ball out of the pitcher's hand. And it might take him a little bit of time, some reps at Yankee Stadium, before he's able to have that consistent spot where he picks up the release point from the pitcher. I'm not going to make excuses for him because the K's have been ridiculous, but he needs to be given a little more time before the fans start to treat him like crap. One funny thing I did see, though, was Stanton struck out 16 times last week, which is more than Joe DiMaggio did in an entire season in 1941. Yeah, I mean, if you don't do well in Boston and especially in New York, you get booed by fans. And it's just really despicable, if you ask me, although I don't know what we're really expecting of Stanton, because last year it was his career year. I would be willing. I mean, Anybody should be able to see the difference in what he did last year, not just say, okay, well, he just must be good now. I mean, he's always had – his batting average has never been great because he, he's always had a decent amount of strikeouts. And he never even – he hit – look it. I'm going to pull his numbers up so I don't say stupid shit like I did with Brad Peacock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know what we expect from him. And it's just – it's it's can be very – detrimental to a player when they have to deal with the Yankees media or the fans booing him. I would agree. And he's handled the media very well. I've been impressed by that. I wasn't sure how he was going to handle it coming from the pretty much no media market in Miami to New York. But I mean, he still does have three home runs. He's, he's driven in his runs. I mean, there's not that many guys with more home runs than him around the majors right now. He's still doing what they brought him in to do. And that's hit home runs and draw walks. Of course, you'd rather some pop ups some ground outs than the strikeouts, but he'll be just fine. I mean, it's, it's a big deal because they made this trade and he's worth all this money. But what did they really give up? They gave up some prospects that wouldn't make the team anyway. And Starlin Castro, who they really have no use for. No, they just owe him like a hundred or $300 million over the next. I mean, this guy's going to be literally like in his, uh, is he going to be in his forties when his contract is over? Stanton? Yes. Uh, late thirties. Yeah. Okay. And they're going to be paying him how much a year? Uh, on average, it's about thirty million. Right. Okay. So that's what they lo- that's what they lose. But it's not like it really matters. The Yankee, you know, I mean, it matters. But if anybody can handle that, yeah, I mean, they brought him in, yet they're still spending less money than they have in the past. So yearly, as yes. much as they're paying him, as much as they're paying him, they've also have gone the route of developing players, bringing them up through the system, and not just trading them all away for old players. I mean, yes, Stanton's been around for a while, but he's not old by any means. Let's talk about more closers. You know about Corey Nebel, yeah? 
Oh yeah, I mean this is. Nibble, I mean, it's how not, do you say it's, his name? It's not fresh. I always say Nebel. I hear some people say Knebel, Knebel. Um, for for me, I wasn't bullish on him coming into this year, despite his success last year. But the hamstring injury going to keep him out minimum of six weeks, could be even longer. Um, that's it's a big loss for their bullpen. Although they have a number of different options to close out games, I'm not sure any of them have really had much success in doing that. To me, I still think the job should go to Jeremy Jeffers. Um, I think he should get it and be able to run with it. He has the experience and he's had success doing it versus a guy like Barnes or Albers who already have not been successful this season, but also really don't have any track record either. Yeah, that's a big, uh, I I don't think Barnes is good closer. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I think that Josh Hader probably has the best chance at being a decent closer. Uh, we'll have to see about that, but that's pretty Well, much- he has the best arm, and he's the best arm in the bullpen, but they really seem to like him for four, five, even six outs sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll have to see. I mean, there's a lot of closer battles right now that even may not be as apparent as, you know, it's showing up as ro- rotating the, on the closer carousel. The closers are on – there's a lot of closers that are on very fine line, you know, pieces of string. So what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of closers that could lose their job at any given moment with a bad outing. I would say almost half the closers around baseball. Uh, let's talk about the injury inferno that's going on right now in baseball. Anthony Rizzo is the most important one on the list. But, I mean, you know, some some could say that Will Myers is the most important on the list. We'll have to see. It depends on if you own him or not. Anthony Rizzo is going to be out for at least 10 days. So, But that's retroactive for a few days. Um they say that he says it's just tightness and his MRI came back clean, but he obviously there's a reason that they put him on there. I think that Ben Zobris is going to get most of the playing time um, because he's a switch hitter and he can pretty much play anywhere. And um, that's that for Anthony Rizzo. But I think that just, you know, fantasy baseballers that own Rizzo are just praying to God that this is not bigger than what we're seeing. I mean, if the MRI comes back clean, I'm going with that. And it did. So my only issue is not that he's injured; it's that it's a back injury because they linger, they linger, and I worry that it could be something that affects him all season long. Whether it be a couple different stints on the DL, or what's even more concerning is that what he's playing, his numbers could be greatly affected by a nagging back injury. Yeah, I agree. The only thing I could say is to go get Benzo wrist if he's available. He's been hitting well. He's. Uh, like I said, he plays. He's a switch hitter. He, he's gonna get. I think he's playing first base too. Even I don't think. I don't even know if I've ever seen him play first base, but I know that he plays all over the place. So it's just more position eligibility is always helpful too. I would. Get it him is, and I want to say one more thing on Rizzo. I think this is the fantasy gods punishing all those people who play in Yahoo leagues and use um, Rizzo <laughs> as second base because that is absurd that he is second base eligible in Yahoo leagues. Yeah, but hey, Zobris covers him at second base too. I I'm almost positive of it. <laughs> so, um, you know, he's hitting right uh, in front. No, he's hitting behind Chris Bryant. Right right behind Chris Bryant in the lineup, which is always a good thing cuz Chris Bryant likes to get on base. Uh, Lorenzo Kane. So, Lorenzo Kane hasn't really hit the DL, not last time I checked, he hasn't hit the DL, but He's strained his quad, and he wants to be back in the lineup today. I would say that, like, the only thing that makes me think it's interesting is that Yelich is already out, but the the Brewers entered this season with way too many players, in offensive players, okay? And they have Domingo Santana, who is way too good to be benched, right? And he's been playing. Now that Lorenzo Cain wants to come back tonight, if it was a case where they maybe didn't have enough people to man the outfield or – to play or to be in the lineup, that would be one thing. But because of the fact that they're so stacked, they might make him sit out a few days. Yeah, they could. And uh, we have to hope it's not a DL issue because he's been so good already, stealing lots of bags, getting all over the place. If he were to go to the DL, though, maybe could that open a door for Broxton to get a call to the big leagues? I mean, he's kind of no. sitting around in, in AAA right now waiting for an opportunity with – Yelich already out. Obviously, you mentioned Domingo's in the lineup every day. Braun's in the outfield every day. Fames and Aguilar 
are platooning at first base. But if Kane were to go down too, there's certainly an opening for an everyday center field type player like a Keon Broxton. Well, Keon Broxton only had one option left. The fact that they were even able to move him down to the minors was kind of surprising, but he did have one option, so he's using that option as we speak. So well, Bidon answered the question. It wasn't Broxton. They brought up Brett Phillips, who is another guy that I was going to bring up as someone who could get the playing time. Well, the reason that they brought him up is because they can't bring up Broxton. He, like I said, he only has one option left, and he's using it right now. So when they bring him up, he's going to have to stay. I don't. I mean, that's that's pretty much that. But but regardless, the point still stands that they're super stacked with players, and <laughs> it seems to me that you might want to keep an eye here because Lorenzo Cain did come out with an injured quad. Although if we leave it to the players, like Noah Syndergaard would love us to do, if we left it to the players, I'm sure he would be in the lineup tonight, and he would probably be in the lineup for the rest of his career. That brings us to Noah Syndergaard, who pitched last night with blisters and says it's not a big deal and all of a sudden i just the first thing that comes to my mind is just him saying that he didn't need an mri last deja year vu. deja vu like why this is the same guy that said that it wasn't a big deal and didn't need to go get an mri because he didn't he knows his own body right and the same guy that was out for the whole season after that i'm thinking Players, of course they want to be in the lineup. Of course it's not a big deal. But you and I both know that blisters can linger. Look at Aaron Sanchez last year. Look at what it did to Johnny Cueto. There was tons of blisters last year. And so it, forgive me if I'm a little bit, like, concerned when I hear that my best pitcher has blisters but doesn't think it's a big deal. I'm certainly concerned about it, too. Not as much about the blisters but about his attitude towards it after what you brought up with last year. I mean, obviously blisters a little different than a lat strain. Uh, but at the same point, at the same time, the blisters can linger. And you brought up Sanchez, who we discussed prior to actually coming on air, and Cueto is another great example too. I mean, um, if, if if it's on your pitching hand, if it's anything to do with your hand, your wrist, your arm, your shoulder, anything that involves having to throw the baseball, it, it's a problem. So think of a blister and what it actually is. It's it's actually your skin peeling off, and it's very raw under there because it's not supposed to be on the outside. And so a pitcher's worst nightmare is to actually break the blister open. So their whole goal is to, like, make sure that they don't do anything with their hands that would break open the blister, and it basically just rest is all you can do for the skin to heal. So think about if you go out there and you try to pitch when the blister is not completely healed over – and you, how much easier is it for you to rip that skin because it's so much thinner right there? I mean, it's just, it it doesn't take a lot to really think into these things, although I'm not freaking out about Syndergaard, and I'm not telling anybody to freak out about it. It just struck me as, as soon as I read that he didn't, it, that he insists it's not a big deal, I thought, oh, here we go. Yeah, I mean, there's treatments they can do for the blisters, I think. But the problem is, is I think there's rules against what you can have on your hands when you're actually out there on the mound. Like, I don't know if you could have certain bandages, any sort of like. But do you, you or, can't, I though. I mean, no, exactly. Can. So that's so that's what is concerning is that there's not even anything they can really do for it. I mean, with backs or sore thick or sore muscles, they can give you a cortisone shot, send you out there. You can't really do that when it comes to blisters. Yeah, and nobody can pitch well without being able to have the ball in their hand without having the feeling of their fingertips on the ball. I mean, that's really how all of these pitches are, you know, that's just how you pitch. You have to be able to feel the ball. Nobody can pitch well in a glove. Like, okay, so either way, um, I agree with you. There's not much you can do. I'm totally going to be having my eyes open, although it doesn't really matter because there's nothing we can do anyways, right? I mean, we, we kind of hope he just can No, there's nothing we can do, and we're certainly not sitting Noah Syndergaard if he if you have him on your roster. I have him in Dynasty League. He's not going anywhere. Um, so did you see the Xander Bogarts play on the weekends? It's a really tough break for him and the Red Sox because he was off of such a hot start, but the play itself seemed like such a harmless play. Um, then he had to be helped off the field, though. I thought it was a leg injury. Thankfully, it's just something with the ankle. Um, do you think he's going to be out for an extended period of time, or do you think it's just that 10- to 14-day window? If you heard anything against that, I know they brought up uh, Lynn from AAA. Probably just going to be depth, though, because I think they can have Brock Holt play seconds with Nunez sliding over to short. 
Yeah, they're another team that's not – they don't have any shortage of players that can fill in for this guy. And he, it's a bone fracture, a small fracture, but still a fracture. And the best thing to do for it is to just not put any weight on it, and that's really all he can do. I don't think that it will be out that long, but 10 to 14 days really, to me, seems like a short period of time for a fracture. Yeah, it does. Um, I mean – I don't own Bogart anywhere. I'm, I'm thankful he's not in the lineup tonight in this series against the Yankees. Um, you don't own him. It, I thought you were a big fan. I am a big. I am a big fan, but he. He. he I just. I didn't have. I didn't have my opportunity to, to take him. I either already had shortstops and keeper leagues or whatever, or yeah, I grabbed. Yeah, he was D being drafted too point. high. He's being yeah, exactly. too high. I mean, there's, there's guys, there's got other guys I ended up going with. I actually traded him in one of my AL uh, keeper leagues because I had him, I've had him since he came up to the majors on his rookie contract, and it was getting a little high for me to keep. So I kind of sent him off for picks, so, um, and I was starting to regret it because he's been so good to start the year. Um, another guy that I think might be worthy of a pickup. That's why I put this news on my list about. Um, Season, Steven Souza, who hit uh, in an extended spring training game, he hit two home runs and then made this excellent throw and then hurt himself. Uh, he His injury just flared up. So they say that they did an MRI and they say that there's excess fluid around his muscle. So it's going to give like Chris Owings a little bit more opportunity to play. I think they said it's not a big setback, but Chris Owings has been hitting well. And even though he only Owens gets- has been hitting very well, Andy. And Owens also gets time at third base right now because Jake Lamb for the Diamondbacks is also on the DL. He plays second. I, doesn't he play second base? He I- plays second. He plays short. He plays third. He plays the outfield. He's he's one of those all over the place guys. Right. So this guy is if he's available, I think that he's a good pickup because a lot of this has to do with momentum. Even if he plays all those positions, it's like somebody is going to. These utility guys, some of them get play enough at bats to be important, and he's just having a good, uh, he's having a good time right now. Yeah, he started Dyson. off really well. Yes, Dyson was the guy I wanted to talk about because anyone who decided to take him late for speed, oh, he is sucks. Looking at chops right now because of the, because he's actually getting time. Yeah, he's but not he's a good sucking. Hitter. He's yes. not a good hitter, but well, he's still bad. Okay, if he can get on base, that's fine. This guy, has a t- he's stolen one base through 30, 23 plate appearances. He's batting 150. I mean, let's not, like, try to have our expectations too high for Dyson, but, I mean, I'm one of those guys that like to wait until the not, – not in all my drafts, but there has been times when I would miss out on stolen bases and I would get Jared Dyson or I would get Roger Davis because nobody was drafting him. But he doesn't usually hit this bad. He doesn't – I mean, even against just uh, – right-handed hitters, I mean, or pitchers. He's supposed to be hitting decent against right-handed pitchers. He doesn't even play when it's a lefty. So I just, I'm kind of disappointed in him, and I understand that he's getting playing time, and I really wanted to have him as the guy to pick up right now, but when I saw his numbers, I was like, uh, no. Like, I can't tell anybody to pick this guy up. Are you there? I'm here. I mean, I wouldn't pick (laughs) him up, but I, I drafted him. I drafted him as a bench player in a number of leagues just to have some extra speed. Um, is he sitting on your bench? I hope. He, he, yeah. He's on my bench. Although um, when Susan got hurt, I was debating on whether or not to throw him in into one of my many outfield spots. I haven't done it yet. Um, I'm he's, glad you not, did. he's not hitting well yet, but he has hit for average at times in the big league level. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, even, even if he can, even if he can get on base at like a 280, 300 type clip, and I think that's even a little low, he's going to be able to steal bags. Just because he's off to a bit of a slow start doesn't necessarily scare me. He's just not going to be – I think he's a poor man's Malik Smith right now with, with every day at bats. Well, I don't think that he's anywhere near what he has been in past seasons because he has never been that bad. He's never going to hurt you in batting average. He's never going to hurt you in on-base percentage. But this year he's hurting you desperately in both, and you should really consider keeping him on your bench because his batting average and his on-base percentage are nowhere near what they should be. I would, I mean, for me, I, if I owned him, I would just be waiting. I wouldn't drop him. I would just wait a little bit longer because I'm – I'm just using this excuse that it's cold out for a lot of people right now. 
And you know what? It's funny, though, because I brought up Malik Smith as the better version of Gerard Dyson, and I was going to bench Smith this week because he hadn't done that much either. But yesterday, I think he had four hits and two stolen bases. So Mm -hmm. if you decide to bench Dyson because he's off to a bit of a slow start in, what, 20 plate appearances it might be, um, what if, you know, he had ends up with three or four stolen bases this week? You're going to kick yourself. Because that's just it with speed, guys. You don't necessarily know when they're going to get those stolen bases. It takes one or two good games for them to get on base three, four times and steal a base every time they get on. I would choose Malik Smith over Dyson any day of the week right now just because he has a job. And- as would I. As would I. But as a poor man's Malik Smith who's going to be getting every day at bats or semi-regular at bats because of the injury, it's not a bad move. Well, Okay. Let's talk about Will Myers, one of Lenny's two favorite players this year. Who I, to- See, I mean, seriously. I love Will Myers. I always loved him, but I was very skeptical this year because he's always had some injury issues. And now that he's back in the outfield every day, I was very concerned. And all of a sudden, boom, he's, he's already hurt. I mean, the addition of Hosmer, great for the team overall because Hosmer's a great player. But what it meant is that Myers is back in the outfield and he's injury prone. And he's already shown that now. He was staying moderately healthy for the Padres at first base, but uh, I'm skeptical of him playing the outfield. Yeah, well, he's got nerve and irritation in his right arm, whatever that means. I mean, they said that he was only going to need the minimum time on the deal, but obviously it's um, uh, a little more than that. So they say in the next week after that, and I'm just not going to bring it up too much because I'm trying to keep it a secret from Lenny. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like again, he's I, you love you love that he steals bags. You love what he can do for your fantasy roster. I like Will Myers as a player. He went a little too early for me in drafts, but again, the in, the, the injuries are concerning to me in the outfield right now. It's an arm issue. Maybe if he was in the infield, he would still be able to play because maybe it wouldn't affect him as much. But having to throw the ball from the outfield that could be enough. Um, with some sort of nerve damage or whatever it might be that you brought up. So uh, there's there's a, there's a lot of moving parts there in San Diego because of the Hosmer addition. I mean, it does it does give guys like Perella and Renfro every day at bats, but neither of those guys jump off the page of me except for in DFS tonight because they're playing in Colorado. Um, I'm reading the chat room right now, and I should say uh, that Bidon brought to the attention that um – uh, okay, first of all, Chris Owings, he's brought up that Chris Owings was hitting well last year at the beginning of the season, too. And um, But even more interesting, which has me totally caught off guard, is that he said that options don't count um, as moves. They count as seasons. That, so- is, that, is, that is correct. Um, Broxton this year can be moved up and down oh, as, much can- as, as much as they want. Once a player is sent to the minors, they must remain there for at least 10 days before being recalled. You're right. With the exception if they need to return due to an injury. So if a player is sent down, apparently they can come up within the 10 days. But I actually had that whole concept wrong in my mind. Yesterday I was studying so hard to figure out the Super 2. What is a Super 2 like? It's so confusing because the way that they have the rules set up, it's anybody could be confused on any of these things. Although the option thing... Um, it comes into play with mostly marginal players as you need to be good enough to get added to the team's 40-man roster at some point. Um, so option seasons. It's an option season. If I just would only read fan graphs, I would know these things. There you go. I mean, you know what? Oddly enough, I only know about the options because I play MLB The Show, the video game, and I have to call players up and I always have to look at their options. So that's the only reason why I actually know the option rules. Okay. So if they send the player on their roster to the minors at any point during the season, they lo- they use one of that player's options. After all three of the player's options have been used, that minor leaguer can no longer be freely sent to the minors. They must first be placed on waivers, giving other teams the chance to claim them. So, But it says right here the next paragraph. If, I mean, I am very – so I hope that I'm not the only stupid person in the entire baseball fandom world. 
I don't think you are. <laughs> be done. Be done. Address the super two as well, um, which is well, essentially just delaying the arbitration years for players. We saw the Cubs do it with Chris Bryant a few years ago. No, I, we, I can tell you everything to know about the super two because I did a lot of research just yesterday. So. Thank you, Bidon, though, for telling me about the options. I get the Super 2. Uh, either way, um, we're running out of time, and I wanted to talk about the Marlins. We always run out of time on this show because I like to blab or uh, whatever. <laughs> okay, listen. Before we get off topic, I mean, that, that, that tends to happen. This show is all about helping people learn things, and that's it. This is I'm not going to take any kind of blame if you make bad moves on your roster or if you think that you know what options is because I told you what it is because obviously – <laughs> okay, but I do want to tell you about the Marlins, okay? I did some research on this this morning, too. The Marlins, apparently, this goes back to before Jeffrey Loria sold the team, the Marlins were suing their season ticket holders, right? They were suing them because they they sued at least nine sets of people. They've sued them for not following through with their end of the bargain, which was that they were supposed to continue to buy season tickets in order and pay in advance in order to get perks like good parking and the other perks that you get when you're a season ticket owner. So when people decided that they weren't going to buy their season tickets anymore because their team was stuck in and they were selling off the farm and all of this, they started not renewing their tickets. So the Marlins have been suing fans, which is just really weird in itself. Okay. Because of their breach of contract, I guess, because they had they do it for like multiple years. But I mean, can you really blame the fans right now? I mean, no. Want to go to a Marlins game? If you lived in Miami, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go for free at this point. So I mean, yeah, they use this whole thing about the fact that these ticket owners are not purchasing their tickets for multiple seasons because they don't want to go to the games. Basically, they're suing them, and like they got this judgment for ninety-seven thousand dollars against this one ticket holder named Kenneth Sack, and um, his attorney appealed this judgment for the full 97000 but then his uh, attorney got had a heart attack, so he missed these hearings for the um, appeal, right? And because of that, then the Marlins decided that they were going to try to foreclose on his building that he owns for the $97,000, like right away, and the building is worth like 725000 but basically they're just – I mean, it's just unbelievable what they're doing to their fans. This one guy, um, his what's his name? Marlin fan. He's a Marlin man, Marlin's man or something like that. Is this the guy that sent the like the $600,000 check? He sent 200000 for four season tickets behind home plate that he's had in the past. He's had two of the four for a number of years. And so he decided that he was going to offer them 200000 for four season tickets for three years, paid in full, right? But it was at, like, a 20% discount from what he was paying before per – like, if you broke it down uh, per seat per game, he was paying 20% less than he was before when he had the season tickets. But he felt like, you know, why shouldn't he first get a discount for getting his tickets three full seasons and paying an upfront, he should get a discount. He said he got a discount for the Yankee stadium doing it that way. And every park has been giving him a discount. This guy is obviously an avid baseball fan, but he says that he sends the ticket, the check with a note to the Marlins and the Marlins right back. He actually addressed it to Derek Jeter, the, the letter. And they counter offer with um, just, uh, I mean, it was almost just such a little amount that they counter offered with, that it was like maybe it was a better idea to just eat that money and keep the fan, right? So when he says that he's not paying what they counteroffered him, they told him that he doesn't do anything for the team. He doesn't uh, he doesn't sell tickets. He doesn't uh, promote the Marlins. Nobody buys season tickets because of him. Nobody buys advertising because of him. So they ba basically don't care what he do does. Okay, so. Okay, I mean, I mean, they might they might be right about that, but that doesn't mean that you need to treat your fans that way. But it just makes no sense because then they're basically refute they're suing their fans for not uh, buying season tickets in advance, and then but then they're now uh, they don't want to take the money in advance because it's not enough money. And if you if obviously maybe they think they could sell those four tickets every game for the whole season, 
They're crazy because I'm pretty sure sometime in the last week they had an attendance of just over 7,000 people. They were the worst. There's only one team that had less fans coming to their games than the Marlins. And they're basically, and on top of that, they, they said, we're not going to sell tickets to, we're not going to sell a season ticket to ticket holders that sell or resell more than 30% of their tickets. And they're suing them for that shit too, okay? They're suing them for the fact that they're selling how too many. You, how do you even keep track of that, of, of who's selling their tickets versus who's attending the game? I have no idea how they, traf- how they um, track it, but they totally enforce the rule. They refuse to sell season tickets to people who violate the policy that you can only sell up to 30% of your tickets resell. So that's fine. But then, I mean, the nothing tops off what – all of this is fine. The Marlins are sell- suing their vendors who – have gone out of business at the ballpark and claimed bankruptcy because they can't, they don't sell enough product because there's nobody at the games. They're suing them for breaching their contract or their lease. Okay. Wow. I, I mean, I mean, I don't blame, I don't blame the vendors here. I mean, there's nobody to sell your, uh, your, there's no one to sell your, your food to or your whatever to, I mean, it's, it, they bring up a pretty damn good point there. So, so they, they, they are suing these companies that have claimed bankruptcy and aren't going to have to owe them the money anyways. So they're basically just throwing money away by going through all the litigation that it takes to sue these guys. Just let them out of their lease. They obviously they're bankrupt. You didn't, you can't ruin them any more than that. Okay. And then on top of that, they, uh, they played two games at home, this or two different teams at home this season. Two of the most popular teams in baseball, the Cubbies and the Red Sox. They are so, I mean, low in attendance that they're averaging less than sixteen thousand fans so far. And they've played two of the most popular teams in baseball, whose fans go everywhere, and you can't even go to a game without finding one of these fans, the Red Sox or the Cubbies. So this whole thing. But then to top all of this off, I mean, I was about to tell you this, but then I found that other thing about the vendor. I forgot about that. But this is the biggie. They've now claimed status or citizenship of another country so that they don't have to worry about being sued because now they're being sued. You know, the city of Miami-Dade, the county, they own that baseball field. They own the ballpark. It's one of the few stadiums in the country that's owned specifically by the people that live in that town. Their tax money is going to pay for this, fund this, and they built it right before they, you know, they've been, uh, ever since they built that new Stadium. They've been bringing players in and selling the farm, bringing players in, selling the farm, and they've just not really stuck with it long enough to make anything real happen. And the Miami-Dade County was like, "Okay, you bought this for you. You bought this uh, ball team for 159 million, and you sold it for 1.2 billion. But you're not going to give us any money. The city, the county is saying you owe us money." for the sale of the team. And Laureate was saying that he didn't make any money. He lost $140 million. But if you do your own math, you can pretty much figure out that $159 million is what he bought it for, and he sold it for $1.2 billion. There's money to be had there. Basically, they're saying now they've filed, they've filed a lawsuit with the court. They're suing Jeffrey Laureate, and then they're saying that Derek Jeter's corporation or his Jeter development thing that he is part of that bought this team and whatever there's partners, all kinds of places, but them they're responsible for any kind of contractual uh, money that is supposed to be owed to the city or the County. So if Jeffrey Loria can't produce the money, then the Jeter developing company is going to be on the hook for it. So they decide that instead of having to deal with this in Miami, they've now claimed citizenship in British Virgin islands. Yeah, I saw that, and I think, yeah, it has something to do with their claiming that the actual company is a citizen or something like that, right? What the hell, dude? Whatever it is, it's so shady, and it's it's unbelievable what they're doing. Because as far as I'm concerned, who knows if there was money, if money got lost or if he actually did lose money. But you can't really uh, say that you sold it's claiming, But it's claiming that you didn't make enough money or make – a, a profit really a legal defense right no it's not and the city is going to get their money whether they get it from i mean you can't really squeeze water out of a turnip you know what i mean like you can't you can't get something that's not there but 
the whole thing is just it it's one thing after another and I really want to give Derek Jeter your boy a lot of credit because he made it through his entire career in New York without having any kind of scandals he was always just a he was a great representation of what baseball is he never got caught doing drugs he stayed out of trouble he didn't have cause any problems in the dugout he never fought with anybody never got kicked out of games and shit like that but this has got to be the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I mean, we've heard of um, scandals in baseball before. We remember when the Dodgers were trying to sell the team and there was all kinds of uh, talk about the wife and the divorce and all of the money that they owed. And, you know, it's there's it's important when you buy something that you take it care and pay attention to any kind of debt that they owe to somebody else because – I mean, aren't you responsible for this? If you buy a piece of property or a home and it's in foreclosure or there's a lien on it, you have to make sure that that's taken care of because if you buy the home, now it's on you. They will take your home away if it's not paid up in taxes or if it's this or that. It's true. And I mean, what what they're doing is unfair. It's probably immoral. Uh, but they don't clearly don't seem to care if they can find some sort of legal way around it. They're they're going to do that. Um, I mean, I I still go back to the baseball decisions that were made in selling off all the pieces they had when they were closer to being competitive. If they just spent some more money on some pitching this offseason, they kept Gordon and Yelich and Ozuna and Stanton. I mean. That, that was a great lineup they had there. They, they go out there and spend the money on Darvish. They go out there and spend the money on Jake Arrieta. And the Marlins could have been a team that was competing in this division and in the National League this year. Instead, they're the laughing stock of baseball and just keep having issue after issue after issue. And if you think we've seen some issues now, it's only going to get worse for them before it gets better. So this Marlins man, dude, now has a radio spot on this one show every Monday. It's Mondays with Marlins Man. He's, like, made himself famous. Yeah, Andy, the Andy Slater show, I think it's called. I don't even know the name of the show. But he's now a um, personality because he does – he bought 20 tickets to Yankees. He bought 20 tickets to Cubbies. He bought 20 tickets here, 20 tickets there, 20 tickets everywhere. And he's really – and then they said that the Marlins changed their jerseys, right? They're basically trying to – I mean, who knows? This is probably just, you know, fake news or whatever. But they're saying that – the reason that they changed their jersey was to troll uh, Marlins man. I don't know how that could be possible since Marlins man isn't coming to any more Marlins games. But this guy stood up at the town hall meeting and was one of the ones that caused a big scene uh, going off on Derek Jeter about selling the farm. Hmm. I mean, do you remember that? I, I honestly, I don't remember that, but um, to, I just, I just, I can't wrap my head around like why you buy a team and then just start screwing over everybody involved with the team. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Unless really, unless all like you could make the argument, maybe they're just in it for the money, but did these guys really need any more money? They're all pretty wealthy dudes. I mean, there's no way they just bought this team to eventually make a lot of money off of it. They already have their money. You would think that they'd be more concerned with the actual baseball operations and the product they put out on the field, which is right now is a complete joke. Well, how do they even have their money? They paid $1.2 billion for this team. And so their money is invested in this in this ball club. And you would think that anybody in their right mind, we thought Derek Jeter was in his right mind, but I don't know how much control he has over the business decisions, the financials of this thing, or if he's just really uh, letting everybody else run the team and he is – I mean, he's got to be the face of it. So yeah, well, yeah, he's probably he's probably the front man, um, the figurehead, and just takes all all the flack. He, he'll come, he'll get all the the props if they do something good, and he'll get all the shit for it if they do something bad. And right now, it's just been a lot of bad. He should know better than anybody, though, that you should not piss off fans. Fans are what make the game. Fans are what is the money maker. I mean, I know that now, a lot of times. Baseball parks don't really rely on their fans that have that you know their ticket holders to pay the bills. They rely on their TV contracts and the uh, the rest of the money that the Yankees get and the Red Sox get. That they all give to these smaller market teams to make up for the fact that they have no money. You know, I mean, there's other ways that, that they make their money. I'm sure more money than they do off of ticket holders. But the point is. 
the fans are what buy the, the products. The fans are what keep the game alive. And you got to respect your fans. You have to treat them nice. It's part of your job, as far as I'm concerned, to be nice to the fans and to blatantly just say, we, uh, first of all, to, to claim citizenship in another country, it, it, you know how I feel about that shit. Yeah, that that's probably a whole other show's worth of uh, <laughs> I mean, right there. I mean, come on. Okay, you're right. It would be a whole other show worth of my ranting. But that's not what this show is all about, just part of it. The point, I mean, the poor Marlins, I feel bad for their fans. I feel bad for the, the county that paid for their ballpark. And they. I hope that they... I hope that the uh, rule of justice works for them in this situation because, unfortunately, no matter if they sue Jeffrey Loria or not, the guy probably has no money. So, you know, they'd be better off suing well, where did his Where did his $1.2 billion go from from the Marlins sale? What do you mean? Exactly. Yes, well, that's the thing. I mean, you do the math. It's, it's like I said before, he bought the he bought it for one fifty six. Million and he sold it for 1.2 billion. That's a lot of fucking millions. Okay. Yeah, that that, that would be like uh, the guy Donald Sterling who had to sell the cl- the Clippers because of that like scandal where he started um, being racist and everything, claiming he has no money. I think he made like over a billion dollars of profit. Imagine him going out there being, like, oh yeah, I'm broke now. I mean, really, like. I, maybe maybe Loria is shady too and has tons of offshore accounts and whatever it might be to hide his money, but there's no way he can claim he has no money. Well, they've now um, subpoenaed, not that subpoena matters any much in this country anymore, but they did subpoena his tax returns. So they are waiting to like look into his tax returns right now. That's the stage that it's in at the courts apparently. So I just find it hard to believe. I mean, that first of all, I wouldn't doubt for a second that Loria is – is a finagler because the guy has to say that um, to say that you don't have any money when you sold the the team for 1.2 billion. I mean, there's money there. So um, the fact that he says that he never made money the entire time, the Marlins that he owned the Marlins, that he lost 140 million actually. And it's hard to comprehend that. But if that's the case, even if he did lose one hundred and forty million dollars total, bought them for, let's say, one sixty, that's what, three hundred million. So there's still still a nine hundred million dollar profit there. (laughs) um, It's got to be somewhere. I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere. Maybe it's buried under maybe it's buried under the the new ballpark. There's some a little more drama in baseball yesterday or maybe it wasn't yesterday. Chris Davis is pissed off because he's not hitting the ball well. We all know that. But yesterday, you got to look. I'm actually going to put this in chatter today. So just swing back around when you get the chance and check out this um, check out this image of Chris Davis breaking his bat over his knee. And you know this guy's been known to do this kind of stuff before. And I wouldn't. I don't even really have a problem with it. Although I I don't think it's going to make him any better. And I I, I think that. He's just a jerk right well, now to fantasy his, owners. His legs, his legs are like tree trucks. So I'm sure the bat <laughs> more than he did. Dude, just to even break the bat over your leg. Oh, this guy's done other shit though. He's broken water coolers. I mean, he's smashed up things. He's gotten into like brawls in there. I mean, he's just he's pretty much like known for his uh, short fuse, maybe. Yeah, and let's let's clarify, of course, because I had the same question for you uh, earlier on before we got on the air. It's Chris Davis from Baltimore, not Chris Davis with a K from Oakland. Yes, yes, Chris Davis with a C. The one that you drafted, like in the last round, because you thought that you would get maybe thirty home runs from this guy, and he's going, and you could just deal with his bad batting average. Just you know what? I have him in Lenny's Legion right now, and um, I'm honestly debating on just cutting him. Like yeah. I, I can't actually cut him, but I, I need I need to bench him because he's he just he doesn't do anything for me. Like I, it's not it's not like I even get the on base percentage, which typically when like throughout an entire season he'll he'll have a decent on base percentage. But if all I'm going to get is some, is some home runs, I can find that elsewhere. Well, you can get a couple of crushed bats, but listen, he is really one of those players that is hard to drop because when you drop him, you know. I mean, I just think that he's hard to drop. You think about the fact that when you drop him, you know, he's going to start hitting a bunch of home runs. I also feel the need to drop him, though, too, and need to remind myself of what you just said in that he's, you know, I, I guess just the, the give and take is not there with him. 
and it's probably not going to no, be there. It, it's not, and he's going to have to ride my bench for a while. I don't know if you ever watch uh, Brian Kenny on MLB Network, yeah. very like into the analytics sabermetrics. Chris Davis is the definition of the uh, true three outcome player: home run, strikeout, or walk. That's all all you're going to get. I learned how to say uh, Castellano, Castellano's name yesterday because Pedro Martinez was on MLB tonight, and he was saying. How good is Pedro? How awesome is Pedro? He's so entertaining. Oh, he's one of the best. He's got to be the best. I mean, did you see? Did you see the um, the 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 guy? I think he worked in the Mets clubhouse. Tweeted in a picture of himself um, that people ask him if he's related to Pedro Martinez because he looks exactly like Pedro. And they put up Pedro's Mets picture and this kid's Mets picture, and Pedro's like, he could be my son. (laughs) <laughs> it, was, it was so funny that's awesome well um i do love watching him i obviously he's super knowledgeable and he's funny but he did teach uh the other guys i i brought this up because brian Keating was on that show and it reminded me of pedro martinez saying this is how you say nicolas castiano nicolas that's how it how because nicolas castiano was saying that he wanted to come on and on the show talk with Brian Kinney. He's actually really into his um, stats and stuff like that. And we all know Brian Kinney's a big stat guy. Oh, he sure is. He's, he's incredibly knowledgeable. Um, I, I like Nick, Nicolas Castellanos too. I didn't know about the Nicolas part. I didn't know how to pronounce Castellanos. Thankfully. Um, you know what? You, you know me as a guy who not a big Red Sox fan, but I always loved Pedro Martinez at the moment he went to the Mets from the Red Sox, I bought a Pedro jersey. So that, that should tell you enough right there is that it's not the player that I don't like. It's the team. I got you. I understand it wholeheartedly because um, uh, I definitely you know I am rooting for I, I really with need. Manny Ramirez. When Manny went to the Dodgers, I got a Manny uh, jersey T-shirt too. Couldn't stand him in Boston, but of course I couldn't. But – once he was out of there, I mean... Maybe you just like the fact that our best players go to other teams and it's really screwed up. Maybe you just like that. Maybe it gives you some sense of, like, satisfaction to see, you know, guys like uh, Manny Ramirez go... I mean, not that he did very well, but it was really... Uh, Red Sox fans were kind of bitter over that whole thing. They were bitter when Johnny Damon went to the Yankees. They were always bitter when a player goes to the Yankees. Um, well, they were also bitter when they traded Nomar Garcia Parra years ago got Orlando Cabrera and then but then they ended up winning the World Series. So you can't always be so bitter about that stuff. I remember Red Sox fans were up in arms when they traded Nomar away. Yeah, because he was part of like the city I mean he really was a personality in that city. They really, really liked him at short I mean, you know, it's not even really about how well he played. It's more about just his his being a part of the town. But, you know, Gary Sanchez, what's up? I as just Lenny always says, so goes the player. Like, as the team goes, so goes – wait, as the player goes, so goes the team. Or the other way around, whatever it is. I'm the girl that doesn't understand options, so, okay. I think that is Stanton and Gary Sanchez, they're both doing horrible. It, I mean, do, do these have any effect on each other? What's up with Gary Sanchez? Because I'm starting to worry. I already – I had two catchers on my Tout Wars team who were going to get me 60 home runs between the two of them. And it was Sanchez and Zunino, and I got one of them on the – DL for who knows how long because it's already been extended once I think I just wonder what do you think about is going on with Gary Sanchez and oh, I'm not too worried I'm not too worried about Sanchez I mean he's uh, in the bats I've seen him even when he's getting out he's hitting the ball hard um, he's one of those guys that he'll get going and then he'll just take off I'm more worried about the fact that he's been out the last few days because of uh, that 14 inning game they played he's left with cramps I don't expect a Dielston. In fact, I heard he could be back tonight or tomorrow. So with Sanchez, I would not, I would not be concerned. He's going to hit, and he's going to hit for a lot of power. He's going to drive in a lot of runs. In fact, last year he started off a little slow. He actually got hurt, missed I believe three weeks or so, came back and just locked in. A lot of these Yankee hitters, and I know I don't love to make the excuse for the cold weather, but when it starts to warm up, I mean they're all going to hit, and they're all going to hit a lot of home runs. All right, so the you know don't freak out. Is that what we're saying? That's the. Let's. What about Yasiel Puig? He's another one. I don't know if you were there this morning when Lenny, Lenny mentioned it. It was kind of towards the beginning of the show, but um, Puig is having a bad season. I mean, he barely got his average above 200 when he had two hits on Sunday. So, like, but they he, Lenny was saying that you know he's hitting the ball super hard and he's hitting 
the ball harder than any other Dodgers hitter and stuff like that. But, you know, then if you look into that further, it's like, well, the Dodgers aren't hitting at all either. The Dodgers are getting behind the count often, more often than not. They're swinging and they're swinging and missing at the first pitch 65.8% of the time. So basically, you know, to compare him and say that he's hitting better than any Dodgers is not that much of a compliment in my mind. No, it's not. But when guys are slumping, I do look at, are they popping the ball up? Are they striking out? Or are they making good contact, just not getting lucky? And I mean, I have, I'm not a huge, like, I'm not a huge into the sabermetric type stuff. I, I mean, I don't, I don't look at BABIP as much as I probably should, but maybe there's something there. I mean, if you look, maybe his BABIP right now is like, is like 100 or like 150, that's obviously going to even out at some point. If he's making contact and hitting the ball hard, eventually those balls are going to find grass. I mean, your favorite player, Nicolas Castellanos last year, first half of the season, um, his Babbitt was dreadful, but his hard hit rate was, was up there and it balanced out. In the second half, he took off and had a great second half of the season. So Yeah, I mean, so as you were saying that, I was looking at Puig's um, batting average on balls in play, which is 242, obviously lower than what it should be. Um, although last year his batting average on balls in play was only 270, so it, we don't. I don't really know. I mean, it's it's it fluctuates a little bit. Beyond that, his contact rate is at 82, percent so it's higher than it ever has been at this point, and he's not striking out like a bunch more than he ever used to strike out. It's right about the same strikeout rate, um, and his walks have gone down but I mean it is early and I'm not really that concerned about that part of it um he's just not honestly Andy I typically don't get concerned for slow starts from guys who you're taking at a pretty um a pretty hefty price in the draft because these guys are proven players you're drafting them or you're drafting them for a reason he goes back to our whole preaching last week of the overreaction yeah like, I know. guys are going to start slow guys are going to start hot but even by, I mean, forget about September or August. Even by June, these things are going to start to balance out. If if you're in if you're in a matchup league like a head-to-head league, yeah, it's going to hurt you right now, and you might want to bench some of these guys until they get going. But in Roto, it's going to balance out. I can't stand the head-to-head aspect of it. That's where I'm starting to have a problem because these head-to-head leagues, which I'm not a big fan of anyways, but now I'm actually playing in a head-to-head points league where it was categories at least, now it's points, It's it. these guys can really hurt you, I'm seeing, for the first time really. I, first of all, I've never played in a points league. This is my first points league. And it is it does make a big difference. I mean, you want to get guys that are consistent. So when you get a bunch of players on your team that are one week good and one week bad, it's like it's all about luck. And, you know, who are you facing on a – I think that points and head-to-head league – first of all, head-to-head leagues – they are much more about luck, I think. It's about timing. It's about who you have to face. Head to head, I would agree. Points, I disagree. I mean, I don't play in points leagues, but points leagues really do show you true value of players sometimes because it does it does reward guys that don't strike out, put the ball in play. But with regards to head to head, I can't stand them. I'm actually not in any anymore. I used to be half and half roto and head to head. Don't do head to head anymore because it's just the same thing kept happening to me. I'd always do well during the season. I'd either win my division, get to the playoffs, whatever. And then someone would just get really hot in September and I'd lose one week. Yeah. Um, I'd win eight weeks in a row to finish the season. And then I'd lose my first week in the playoffs because of one because of one bad start from a pitcher who had been great all season. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's not a good way of valuing who's the best team. No, I guarantee, I, I totally agree with you. And maybe I wouldn't even have a, I agree with you that points leagues do give you a better estimate of the player's overall value because they, it, as long as it's not head to head, then you're going to go through the full season. Baseball is not good for head to head. Football is good for head to head. Baseball is not. Thing so good. is, even in football, I I hate sometimes being head to head because I've had times where I'll have the most points in my football league, but I'll be fourth or fifth place in the standings because I've just had tough matchups. I mean, even going back to football, I my favorite type of football league is a points league too because it really rewards the best team overall. You're facing every team every week essentially and that's why i do like points leagues for baseball too i'm not in any at the moment i don't know what else can you really, use for i mean that's all you points leagues is all there is in football is it i mean you don't have well, it's you, you do points but you haven't head to head 
there's football leagues where you can set them up where it's not head to head. It's just purely points. And I the team mean, with right. most points wins the league at the end. That would be great. But see that for the majority of the football, I've, I've only just seen head to head mostly and it works for football. Okay. It, I, I just think that it works better for football than it does for baseball, but baseball, it doesn't work good at all. It definitely doesn't work good for the overall, um, the season is really long in baseball. There's 162 games, and um, it, it really is all about maintaining a team and, and all of this. So in, in head-to-head, it takes all of that away because it just depends on who you're, you know, what your players are doing at that particular time against who. Like, I always feel like I'm just stuck up against the guy that's felt like Kershaw going two times this week, and it's like, oh, great, you know? Like, I could have got him next week when Kershaw had five days off, you know? No, I, 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 I totally un- understand it. I mean, for, for, for me, um, I mean, everyone has what they like, and that's why it's great that there's all these options out there for people to play what they like to play. Uh, for me, I like Roto, and I'm sticking with it. Uh, I know you like Roto because your nickname is Roto Lady, so obviously, uh, obviously you have a shining for uh, Roto too. Pidon says that he – they have a Dick has sausage and fantasy sports um, head-to-head categories league. He said that it's good because they pay out a roto and a head-to-head winner, and they also do weekly payouts, and that that is okay. And also, he agrees with Lenny that you should end the season before September. Um, that's kind of hard. I mean, it, it, the commissioner has to be responsible for a lot of shit, you know, like making payouts every week and all of this stuff. These leagues that these guys have in the podcast here at the site are just – some of them are just way too complicated for me. Like I, I can't even figure out how to work fan tracks, okay, much less like <laughs> they're always right on top of making moves every day and keeping very interested in their teams. And I'm just like – every day I just think I, I like drafting so much that I have too many teams. I mean to say that because all, all the time I have so many teams that I'll be like cheering for a pitcher that I have and then I'll realize that he also just struck out three of the hitters I have. And it's like, who do I cheer for? What, what do I do? But again, because it's Roto, they're all Roto, eventually it'll average out. Like, I'm glad my pitchers got their, got their strikeouts and my hitters will hit the next day. Not against my pitcher. I could tell you one thing I've learned from uh, points leagues this year so far and it hasn't really been that long into the season so I'm sure I'll learn more as we go but one thing that I've learned is that I totally value players different like um, a good example is Miguel Sano. Miguel Sano might be hitting home runs and if I was in a categories league that would be great because his batting average is just going to be evened out by the rest of these fools batting average but here's the thing in points leagues he is actually giving me negative points and I'm so tempted to bench him because he strikes out every day he strikes out multiple times every game and I mean I've never seen Miguel Sano the way that I see him right now. Uh, Joey Gallo, I knew what I was getting with him. But still, when you see the points and they're actually negative, and it's like you think about it like this. If Miguel Sano strikes out every day multiple times, but he hits a, and he's not going to hit a home run 162 games, he's going to hit what, 40 home runs is a good expectation for him. So let's say he hits a home run every three games. He's going to strike out multiple times every game. You have basically eaten up all the home run points and maybe more. Yeah, that's just it. And the first points league I ever played in, um, I, I, I learned that lesson really hard. I went with a lot of guys who I would typically take in a standard league. And people were drafting a bunch of like middle infielders that kind of just get a bunch of hits but don't do much else. And they ended up winning the league because those guys don't strike out. Those strikeouts will kill you. Uh, beat on – Wanted, I want to add this because I think it's interesting. They do head-to-head, right? And like I said before, they pay out every week. They give, they do uh, prizes for Roto and for the head-to-head. But also he says that they, it's called all play, and they play every team every week. So basically it's like a – I don't know. It can be considered kind of a Roto league by the week because it's – and when you say head-to-head – I think automatically that it's head to, like one person against one person, but I really think that it could bring a different feel to the game. When yeah, all play is a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of fun because you're going up against every single team every single week. I actually like the all play. I don't love one on one head to head. I should make that clear. 
Yeah, I didn't even know that that existed. So thank you, B-Don, just teaching me you know, things. A Andy, you know where I played that for the first time? Uh, Major League Fantasy Sports. When I used to uh, do some work over there, I played all play for football. That's pretty cool. I really think that's fun. Um, so B-Don said that last year, Miguel Sano scored less points than Jed Jerko and Chase Headley. And among others, he says. But Chase Headley is a good – I mean, that would be a good one to use. be like – you know Sano had less points than Chase Headley last year. And if you ever watch Vic DiBetetto, who I'm a big fan of, we're trying to get him to come on the show, the uh, New York Yankees locker room comedian. We're trying to get him to come on so serious. Fun. Yeah, so he's hilarious, but he calls Chase Headley headcase. He used to always call him, why is headcase still playing? You know, why is he still in the lineup every day? And when you say that he had more points than Miguel Sano, it really makes me open my eyes. And like I said, I've learned, I'm learning things. I'm seeing players different than I used to. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a great point because if you ask someone who would you rather have on your fantasy team, Sano or Headley, ten out of ten people are going to say Sano. When in fact, the real question should be, what kind of scoring system do you use? <laughs> exactly, dude. Exactly, because that's right. So I, you know, one of the good things about trying these new different ways to play is just learning different ways to look at players. Learning you like when we started using net stolen bases, it was not just getting points for every time somebody stole a base or getting a stolen base as a credit or one point or whatever. You were getting negative points when that person got caught stealing a base. So there are players that I never even would have known or dreamed of before that are not going to produce much in that category because they strike out like 50% of the time. I mean, they, they strike out stealing a base. So basically they get caught stealing. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like it's like would you rather have a guy that steals twenty bags but is twenty of twenty four stealing, or a guy that might steal thirty but is thrown out fifteen or twenty times? You'd rather have the guy that has the higher percentage. Yeah, and when you're getting docked a point for caught stealing and you only get a point for stealing, then you know, those can add up really quick to like negative numbers. So that I mean I feel like I learned a lot about some other players that were getting caught stealing all of the time. So even if they steal 30 bases, they're only actually going to give you 15 points because, you know, we're docking it. So this is fun. We should go now because we've been on for an hour. And well, when did we start? Maybe we're right about an hour. We, we, we've been just over an hour now. Let's save some time for the – I know B-Dawn and uh, Mike Etchen Table are doing a show at 6.30 Eastern tonight. I think he's filling in for Donkey Teeth. So um, – that should be fun. Let, let's make sure we leave them enough time to do their show. Absolutely. Um, so let's, on that note, let's, uh, yes. Wait, football tonight, be on or what's going on tonight? What did he say? I think it's football? baseball. Pretty Good. sure it's baseball. Alrighty. So be on and Dick Hunt sausage and fantasy sports. will be having etch and table filling in for the donkey teeth. Who's out to lunch with uh, gray from Rasball and, that's that. Listen in. Mike Etching Table said he had a great advertisement for the beginning of the show, and I always like to tune in for those. I wish I had any kind of creative mind in my body to come up with these. Brought to you by ads. I think they're really fun. Well, you haven't heard it. I'm sure I could work on something like that for us. Well, I'll have to let you hear what it is because um, I could tell you never heard his advertisements. I'll send you a couple of advertisements that he does on his Fantasy Futures baseball podcast yes please do i i if they're in the beginning i typically tune into him usually about a third or half the way through so i must be missing those wonderful advertisements okay thanks to beat on for engaging us in the chat room and thank you loot for chatting baseball with me this week and we will talk next week you got it thanks all take care